Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 14 as we continue our study through the book of Romans. Going to look at uh, verses 1 through 13. Paul speaking here uh, relative to the subject of, of unity. And so he says in verse 1, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he is able or he is, uh, ma- indeed, he is made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Uh, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each, let each one or each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe that day, that particular day, does not, or to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord does not eat. <clears throat> he does not eat and gives, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. Uh, so then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the grace of God that has come to us. Lord, you have freed us. You have freed us from so many things that once held us, controlled us. And Lord, we thank you for this blessed freedom and liberty that we have. Yet, Lord, uh, we don't want to use liberty, Lord, as a license. Lord, nor do we want to become, Lord, legalistic. Lord, trying to force everybody into our individual mold. So I pray, Father, as we consider these timeless principles in Scripture, 
that you'd help them, Lord, help us rather to apply them today to our lives, to the situations and circumstances, the things that are going on, Lord, in Christian circles today. Lord, help us, we pray, Lord, uh, to be those who are considerate, Lord, tolerant, not tolerant of sin, but tolerant of the differences that so often exist between, Lord, different churches, different Christian groups, different denominations, Lord, Christians and other nations. Lord, help us, we pray, Lord, to not be critical and and judgmental about things, but Lord, uh, help us to be, Lord, like the Apostle Paul. Lord, he was a man for all seasons. Lord, you could take him, even though he came from a very stringent and rigid background. Yet, Lord, he, you changed him. And Lord, you could take him and put him in any, any different context. And Lord, he could just be a witness and love the brethren. So, Lord, help us, I pray, that we would be flexible where we need to be flexible, Lord, we could still maintain our personal convictions about certain things. And so help us, Lord, we pray, to have a deeper appreciation for one another. Lord, a deeper understanding. And Lord, uh, I think all these things, Father, I think they all relate. Lord, to this law of love, this royal law that we have. And so, Lord, guide us, I pray now. Lead us, we ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I believe that God's designed, you know, for us, the body of Christ, for his people, that we are to be unique, uh, we are to be different. Um, and I think one of those characteristics that he uh, wants to, I believe, work within our lives, within our experience, is to be accepting and tolerable intolerant of, of other Christians and their pr- certain practices. Now, when Paul here speaks about doubtful things, it, it's important that we realize he's not talking about some blatant, sinful thing <laughs> that's taking place, you know, in our midst, because he tells us in another place, those things have to be judged. You know, we have to deal with those particular issues. When they arise and they become sort of a polluting kind of a thing uh, taking place, but he's speaking about certain things, you know, how perhaps we have different practices or there's, there's other groups uh, that, that, you know, have different practices. And these are those non-essential issues. These are not those essential issues. These are those things uh, that different Christians may practice and may allow within their life. Uh, they feel a certain conviction before the Lord. They have a certain kind of freedom. Uh, we have to be careful that we don't. You remember, unity is not basic, not necessarily uniformity. Uh, and sometimes, when when ministries and pastors try to squeeze everybody into a certain kind of mold, um, that it can become very rigid, very metallic, um, very legalistic. Uh, you have to cut your hair a certain way. You have to wear a certain kind of clothes. I can remember many years ago you know, walking into a different fellowship out of state. And, uh, and I was basically eyeballed up and down because I wasn't wearing the uniform of the day. And, uh, and sometimes that can happen. I think it's, 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 it's tragic 
uh, because somebody, when that happens to somebody, and, and I can understand it, I was a believer, I was, I was mature enough to understand that, uh, that these folks were a little more rigid and fundamental, more of a fundamental kind of a flavor than, than I had. I understood that. But when somebody came in who doesn't know the Lord, and all of a sudden they're stumbled. They feel like they've been immediately judged, and they have been. They've been, you know, they've been given that quick assessment. You, know, you don't quite fit in here you know, type of thing. And so I think we need to be very careful about that kind of a thing. He's speaking here basically what he refers to as doubtful things. Uh, these are individual practices that may differ. Uh, you may allow something in your life uh, that somebody else would think, oh, no, I can't do that. Um, that, that, would be, that would violate a conviction, you know, in my particular life. And, and the thing is, that's fine if you want to keep that kind of conviction, but don't foist it on somebody else, okay? Uh, if you don't want to say, just again, you don't want to go to the movies. Fine. That, that, that's, that's a, that's a, that could be a very important conviction for you. Say you don't want to watch TV. That may be a very important conviction that God has placed in your heart. But you have to be careful. You don't start judging other people because they don't, they're not doing what you're doing. Uh, that's a dangerous kind of thing because, you know, sometimes you can hold certain convictions. And because you hold certain convictions, you can put yourself up on this spiritual plane <laughs> thinking in your own mind, in your own opinion, that you're actually more spiritual or you're better than somebody else. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that's the wrong take. Uh, and again, here Paul is, is making um, this case for how important it is that, you know, that we have uh, a certain kind of liberty and freedom regarding these doubtful things or these non-essential things that he's speaking here. And again, to be clear, he's not speaking about some critical, some important issue uh, regarding maybe the deed of Christ or some essential Bible doctrine but it basically is referring to these non-essentials, things that we would put under the category, our, our liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. Now remember here, our unity is basically, it's based on our belief in the essential teachings of the Bible. That's what our unity is based on. You know, you know, how we interpret the Bible, those essential things that we believe in, those important major doctrines. But it's not how we interpret. Our unity is not how we interpret uh, this matter of non-essential things and practices that people may allow in their life or different groups may allow in their life. I remember we were in a conference over in Austria many years ago. And uh, there was a lot of folks there from the States. And then um, a church showed up uh, from Eastern Europe, very fundamentalist kind of a church. And uh, they immediately made a protest uh, that they were not coming into the meetings because some of our gals were wearing slacks and shorts. And so we wanted to accommodate them. We didn't want to stumble them in any kind of a way. So uh, the ladies got their skirts on and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we wanted, even though uh, that wasn't, you know, we knew that uh, that was a, a legalistic kind of way to look at things. Um, that wasn't our practice, but we wanted to accommodate by love. We wanted to accommodate our brothers and sisters. Uh, but what's kind of interesting, uh, uh, later on that day, when, uh, when all the men went swimming, you know, down, and we're, it's, a, it's a castle over there uh, in Austria overlooking uh, uh, a beautiful, kind of looks like Canandaigua Lake. 
And, uh, but later on, the men all went swimming in their underwear in front of our women. And uh, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Legalism is kind of an interesting type of thing, how you can be kind of rigid over here in this particular area. And I think, I think legalism is kind of blind. I think it's blind about a lot of things. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you can wear your underwear, and it's like all the women are going, ah, they're screaming, you know, when these guys get out of the, out of the lake in their underwear, you know, kind of a thing. So Paul says here, uh, we didn't make a big stink out of it, just the women just ran for their lives, that's all. <clears throat> uh, verse 1, receive or accept uh, one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And again, the issues here are relative to those things that are doubtful. And again, I think sometimes, you know, sadly, some Christians become very critical, very argumentative, um, or even judgmental. I think most Christians aren't, but I think there are some Christians where they can become uh, just kind of critical and argumentative about these kinds of things. I think sometimes uh, um, it can be oftentimes due to uh, immaturity. Um, and again, sometimes, uh, you know, when somebody has a certain conviction, they think everybody else should have the conviction. If they don't have their same conviction, uh, that they're subspiritual. Uh, they're just simply not on the same level that they are. And I think that's a wrong understanding that we, we would have. So his concern here is relative about uh, debating, uh, disputing these particular matters. Because what happens is what people get stumbled. All of a sudden, uh, you know, you, you're, you, people kind of start trouble relative to these matters, you know, debates about you know, what's acceptable in our group and what's not and that sort of thing. I think th sometimes, uh, uh, depending on the group, it can even create a church split and certainly sometimes can split uh, relationships. And, uh, and I think it's important. Paul doesn't want us to have some kind of a rigid, uh, legalistic kind of a Christianity. Uh, also, too, he doesn't want us using liberty as a license. You know, there's, two, there's always extremes, isn't there? that you can become so rigid over here about things. And then also, too, you got other Christians that they're so free and, you know, exploiting the whole matter of liberty uh, that they have no convictions. Almost anything is allowed. And I think we need to be very careful of that. Um, you know, when we talk here, you know, about love. Um, and, and, you know, I'm one who speaks often about this whole matter of love. Uh, we've seen how many times it comes up in the Scripture and Paul's brought it up. Even though John's the apostle of love, I think uh, Paul has one of the greatest treatises on love when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. I was just reading something uh, recently uh, from an author, a recent book that was written by an author relative to this whole matter of love. And he said something I want to read to you, uh, just a paragraph here uh, that I think is very relevant because, you know, sometimes when you talk about love, it can be misconstrued. Because there's a different definition of love that's out there in our culture, but also, too, it's drifted into Christianity. And, and this whole idea of love is anything is acceptable. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And maybe you even know somebody, maybe you even know some Christians where in the name of love, everything's just sort of, you know, just sort of embraced. Um, and and it's, very, it's a very worldly definition of love. But l listen to what this author uh, says. I thought it was rather profound, just a short paragraph here. Uh, he says, Today you can justify pretty much anything by invoking the word love. 
If they really love each other, then of course we should accept this, that, or the other thing. If God is loving, then surely he wouldn't fill in the blank. He wouldn't judge anybody if God was loving. Yet notice what's happening in these statements. We're no longer interested in, God, in, in the God who is love. Rather, we're interested in our own ideas of love, which become God. God is love is traded in for love is God. Instead of going before, <clears throat> excuse me, instead of going before the creator of the universe and saying, tell us what, what you are like and how you define love. We start with our own views of love and we deify them. And how I think a very, very important, uh, <clears throat> I think that's what happened in the culture and it's happened also in Christianity. We deify our ideas of love. We need to go before the Lord. And of course, as we read the Bible and study the Bible, we really find out who the God of love is. And really what, and we talk about this all the time because I think it's important to define really what love is. Again, isn't it some warm, fuzzy feeling that just sort of embraces everything and anything? Uh, there's clearly a, 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 def, a, defi, a very clear definition to this whole idea of biblical, of biblical love. Now, it gives us some illustrations here, and these illustrations are from the first century. They may not be so relevant today, but we're going to talk about a few things that are relevant to us today. He says, one believes that he may eat all things, but one who is weak, weak rather eats only vegetables. And again, this was a conviction that early Christians had. Remember, too, the early church was half Jewish. And maybe in some sense, it might have been 75% Jewish early on in the first century. Uh, so there was an issue about certain kind of meats. Uh, many of the Jews, you know, that had grown up with under the law in an orthodox kind of a way, uh, they had a certain understanding of, you know, uh, what, was, what kind of meat they could eat and, and, and so forth. And one of the problems was, particularly in the European world, that there was so much idolatry uh, that uh, uh, in order to worship these false deities, there was always a sacrifice going on. And after the meat was offered to an idol, it was basically the priest would take it and they would basically sell it to the meat or you know sell it to the meat markets, uh, and then it would be basically bought by the, the person on the street. Uh, and people, even Christians, certain Christians had convictions about that. Well, I can't eat that uh, because it's been offered. You know, it's been offered to an idol. Uh, thinking that perhaps maybe that the, 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 the demonic uh, power resided within, you know, the, the, you know the, the slain animal or whatever the case may be. So people had all kinds of different convictions. And so maybe some people, uh, because they had this conviction, they didn't want to eat that meat. And, you know, there wasn't really anything wrong with the meat. Um, uh, you know, somebody basically had a you know, a deeper understanding of what the case was, but somebody that was maybe weak in their face that I just simply can't eat that. Uh, when I put it in my mouth, all of a sudden I feel different and that sort of thing. So there's these different convictions, uh, you know, that, that some people could eat, some people couldn't. Some people were basically vegetarians. Um, and again, these principles, I think, are timeless. They're important relative to accepting people, different viewpoints, um, you know, to be more tolerant of people that maybe, um, you know, have issues about certain things. He says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. 
So the problem is our problem, not so much, you know, with the Lord. It's how so often we view certain things. And sometimes when you go cross-culture, uh, these, are, these become important issues. Um, I, I remember uh, we did a, uh, I took a team to Scotland in 1991. And uh, we, were, uh, we were there, and we were with a church there in uh, Glasgow. And back then, it was sort of very trendy. Everybody had these little fanny packs. Uh, when they're traveling, you know, for their papers and their passport and their wallet and all these sorts of things. But over in that culture, the word fanny is a very naughty word. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Um, it's, it's, you know, private parts of, of somebody's body. And so when we were saying this, like, you know, all of a sudden I was like, ah, you know, people are just shocked that we would... It would be like somebody coming over here and using some profane word, you know, some, you know, some dirty cuss word um, that we would probably say, would you please stop saying that kind of a thing? And that's what basically they said to us. Uh, so when you go cross-culture, all of a sudden you learn a lot of things that maybe perhaps you shouldn't say or you shouldn't do, maybe even certain gestures. And again, it's important. Uh, you know, we don't want to stumble anybody. Uh, we don't want to... We don't want to uh, discourage anybody, you know, from, from basically trusting the Lord. Now he says, who are you to judge another minister? Now this was an issue to at Corinth, because it's a human issue, isn't it? it it's an issue of the heart, how we tend to just maybe look at people and assess people and judge people uh, and look at them for maybe something, you know, something that they're really not. And that's why it's important, you know, we have uh, a lot of exhortation in the Bible about how we look at other people, how we treat other people. Uh, because if we've judged them internally, we're going to treat them very poorly. Uh, and the problem is, is our assessments are oftentimes wrong. And God knows that. Because you know, we, we don't know all the facts. We, we may think we do, but we simply do not. So who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master. Uh, he, will, he stands or falls, indeed. He will be made to stand, for God is able uh, to make him stand. So again, judging others, uh, you know, in the wrong way. Um, and again, that can be done, I think it's done oftentimes out of a personal self-righteousness. You know, when we, we have pride, a certain degree of pride. Now, I know none of us, none of you have pride here. I'm sure of that. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. Because uh, we always think that, don't we? Uh, but uh, sometimes some little self-righteous, you know, uh, sometimes the Lord will allow something to come out of us and it exposes, you know, our pride or our self-righteousness. We didn't really know it was there, but yet God knew it was there. And again, he alone is the perfect judge. The thing is, too, you know, it's interesting, you know, the Bible uh, exhorts us to love different people groups. And, and one of the distinctives, I think, of Christianity is, as, as the world looks at us, uh, they'll know us by what? Our love for one another, okay? But if we can't love one another, how are we ever going to love our enemy? If, if we can't love and accept one another, and that's a part of love, you know, accepting the differences, um, you know, that we have, you know, within our lives uh, that are going to come out, I think sometimes maybe that's why some people may not like to fellowship with other believers because they don't want to have to deal with that little bit of friction. 
Because when you get close to knowing people, that's when the problems begin, right? <laughs> All the little things come out in the relationship. So it's important that we uh, are really allowing the love of Christ uh, to rule and guide you know, our relationships. I was uh, a story that goes back to uh, the uh, revolutionary period. Uh, there was a minister who lived in Ephrata, PA. His name was Peter Miller. He was actually, an, he was a friend. Uh, he had a friendship with General George Washington. And, uh, but uh, there was, uh, Miller had this implacable enemy. Uh, his name was Michael uh, Whitman. And any time he could, uh, he tried to disparage. He would try to, he would try to humiliate uh, Peter Miller. He just hated Peter Miller. And so eventually it was found out that he was guilty of treason, uh, this man, Michael Whitman, and he was, and he was condemned to die, uh, and he was being held as a prisoner in Philadelphia. Well, Peter Miller walked all the way 75 miles to Philadelphia. And because he knew Washington, uh, he got an audience with, uh, with General Washington. And uh, he went in and basically made the case, and uh, um, General Washington said, uh, Peter, no, uh, I'm, not going to allow, I'm not going to allow you um, to come here and to get your friend off the hook. He said, my friend, he's my worst enemy. And, and Washington said, you walked here 75 miles to get a pardon for your worst enemy? He says, that being the case, you got your pardon. <laughs> And, and, and Peter Miller and Michael Whitman walked back in friendship to, uh, to, to their home in Ephrata, PA. God wants to, to do those kind of things in our lives. But I think first and foremost, we have to learn how to love one another before we'll ever get to that point where we can reach out to somebody who's really an adversary, somebody that really is our enemy, so he said one person, further illustrations here of examples of things that we may differ on. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And again, these are doubtful issues. These are not sinful things. These are not wrong things necessarily. Uh, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Uh, he who eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord does not, uh, does not eat and gives God thanks. Now, some of the things that we may differ on, like, for instance, our baptism, different modes of baptism. Um, were you only sprinkled? You should be immersed, fully immersed. You're not saved until you're fully immersed. <laughs> That's baptismal regeneration. It's wrong. That's just, that's just, that is wrong. And we can differ on, on things of that particular nature. Now, worship and music. In some places, it's very, you'll, you're going to feel very uncomfortable raising your hand. And I've seen sometimes believers get all torqued up about We should only be singing hymns. 
And it was a big issue like 30, 40 years ago in many different churches. The whole, the whole issue of, of, of a new style and contemporary music. Do you know the hymns were at one time contemporary music? Hey, I, I love the hymns. I, I love the hymns. There's something to be said for the depth of the theology of them. And probably many of us, if you've been around for any length of time, you have certain hymns you know, committed to your memory. You don't even need the music, the accompaniment. You can sing it. And that's a wonderful thing. But we have to be very careful that we don't develop an attitude one way or the other regarding those kinds of things. Christian holidays. There are some Christians, they will not celebrate Christmas. They will not celebrate Easter. And if you ask them why, hold on to your horse. You're going to get a dissertation. And it is true that many of these holidays have been redeemed. If you go back, they have, they have pagan origins. But why can't we redeem it for the Lord? Bible translations. Oh, you're sinners, I can tell. <laughs> oh, there's a group out there. And listen, I, I, I cut my teeth for, for 20, 25 years I pretty much read the King James only. It's a great translation. But there's a group out there called the King James only group. And they're going to give you a dissertation on why you read all these other pagan translations. But these other translations, I think, could be very valuable. What, has God not saved somebody in the, the Hispanic world? Or somebody has a Chinese Bible? It's not the King James. I think we need to, be, I think we need to give latitude. There's other good translations. There's some translations I just don't like. I'm not going to read them. I think I have them all. But quite honestly, I, in my personal devotions, oftentimes I read the King James. It's a preference. We have to be careful what we mandate. Money. How it's spent. You may, see a bro- you may, you may know a brother or sister, and they've got, they've got more money than you. And maybe they seem to be a little bit reckless with it. And you can just sort of write them off and judge them as unspiritual. I think there's a real danger there. I had some friends for many years. They decided to come to the church. But when we put up that stone wall, they left. Somehow that was too exclusive.
I mean, for years, we've been here 15 years. For like 13 years, if you remember coming in that back side of the building, it looked like you were coming to Calvary Chapel Shipping Department. <laughs> and finally, we were able to dress it up. I think it looks pretty good. Did we go over the top? No. I don't think that's over the top. But we're not going to be able to please everybody all the time. Sabbath days. <laughs> there are some Christians that they are convinced. They're called Sabbatarians. That Saturday is the day. If you don't worship on Saturday, something a little bit inferior about you, and you're not allowed to do anything. I, I remember years ago listening to Dr. John MacArthur. He grew up in a Sabbatarian household, and he's, he... <laughs> He was talking about, he said, you know, he said, my parents dressed me up like little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> and he said, we were not even allowed to read the funnies on Sunday. But he said this, but could we eat? And we ate. <laughs> Wearing cosmetics, ladies, dyeing your hair. Some circles that would be considered unspiritual. I always like to go back to an incident with D.L. Moody when a lady had asked him about the whole matter of cosmetics. She said, Mr. Moody, do you approve of women wearing cosmetics? And uh, Moody was like a real country bumpkin. And the quip that he came back with was this. He says, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> I hope there wasn't something more in that when he said it, but again, I think we become, we become cultish when we try to mandate things, control people, regarding these kinds of practices. A certain, we need to have a certain kind of freedom. Sometimes I've, I've shared with you, when, the, when the, the, the subject lent itself to it, some of my convictions. But I'm not preaching those. I'm just sharing with you some of the convictions that I may have that I believe God has put into my life to protect me. And here's the other thing. Somebody may have really strong convictions and, and, and they live a very disciplined life. Don't you dare judge them as being legalistic. Only if they try to force that on somebody else. And don't ever talk somebody out of some conviction or discipline in their life. Because they may need it. They may need it. 
Lord knows. That's why if the Lord tells you or me to do something, and it doesn't matter what the person beside me or what everybody else does or doesn't do, what does the Lord want me or you to do? Because it's easy sometimes to just ignore what God wants us to do. See, you're, you're, a, you're a unique individual, and God knows you better than you know you. He, he knows us so thoroughly. And see, the world sometimes tells us with certain kind of disciplines as if somehow you're not going to have any fun. The Lord knows what we need. He wants to protect us. He wants to keep us. And there may need to be a certain kind of, a certain kind of conviction in your life that somebody else doesn't have. So as you obey that and submit to it, you'll be blessed in that. Now, here's the bigger picture in verses 7 and verses 8. He says, none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. In other words, it's not really about so much my, about me or my opinion in the matter. Basically, we live and die by the grace of God. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. You know, if we sense, I think, a brother or sister going off in some particular way and they need some change in their life, you know, we can pray and ask God about that. I, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit, yes, will give us discernment. You know, as we know, we know one another and we see maybe somebody going off in some direction. We need to pray about that. You need to pray, and maybe, you know, as we pray about certain things of that particular nature, the Lord may give us an opportunity in some way to maybe address that and minister into their life in a certain kind of way. And I think it's also important, and we need to make sure that if we're getting bugged and bothered about somebody's life and judging them for something, basically, maybe we don't do. I think we have to be very careful that we're not just getting bugged because they're doing something that secretly we want to do. Okay? I hasten to even say this. Because I don't, you, you know how I feel about it. Here's a, another brother in Christ, and they want to have a beer with their pizza. Or they want to have a glass of wine with their dinner. That's their liberty. That's their freedom. I, I think we have to be very careful with those kind of things. not to stumble somebody. But the Bible doesn't say you can't have a beer, you can't have a drink. 
unless the Lord tells you personally. And when I say this, I don't want to in any way encourage it. <laughs> because of that kind of background in my family. And I saw the, the devastation and what it does. I have to be careful. I don't judge him because, you know, the Lord says to me, I don't want you doing that, and they're doing that, and I really want to secretly be doing it. So I judge them or I'm bugged at them. Now, here's a, here is the goal that we're working towards as we come to verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again. And this is why basically the cross and the resurrection are always relevant. Because the cross, the work of the cross in us will enable us to die to certain things that we wrestle with and that we struggle with. And certainly these petty issues that can separate us. You know, for you and I as a child of God, the cross is always going to be at work. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, he says, I die daily. And you know what, folks? There's a lot of things in this life that maybe it might even be something that, that was allowed in your life early on, but now you've walked with the Lord for so many years, and the Lord says, you know what? Now you're at a place of maturity, and I want, you to, I want to just free you from that. Stop doing that. I want you to die to that. And we find there's a lot of things that God calls us into a place where it needs to be put to death. And again, it's not just death, but it's the resurrection power that enables us to rise above it. Whenever there's a cross in reality taking place within our lives, that death principle, there'll also be, there'll be the resurrection principle. We'll be able to rise above it. I think sometimes when we think about maybe letting go of something, dying to something, we think, well, <laughs> I, can't, I can't live without that. It's been a part of my life all these years. But if God calls us to that, he'll empower. He'll enable us to put that thing to death and, and, and to rise above it. That's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's a love for God that, that's greater than any, that, it, that, it, that works in our life is more powerful than our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, our, our natural being. There's a lot of petty things sometimes that can, that can not only separate us from one another, but can separate us from the Lord. When I was thinking about his resurrection power, there's a uh, story many of us may know, but it's a great story. 
Jackie Robinson was the first um, black baseball player to break into the major leagues. It's interesting that the man that brought him in was a Christian. His name was Branch Rickey. He was a baseball manager and also quoted a lot of Bible verses. And as he brought him in the late 1940s, actually signed him up in 1945, right after the war. And uh, the reaction against Robinson was horrific. Pitchers would throw fastballs at his head. When he'd slide in for a base, they would spike him. The, the fans and the crowds oftentimes would shout all kinds of obscenities. Even sometimes the opposing um, dugouts and managers would rail on him. And there was one, one event recorded when he was in Boston that this was happening and the whole, the whole crowd, the whole stadium was just going nuts. He was, he was actually a first, second, and third baseman altogether, but he was on second base at that game. And there was another guy on the Dodger team who was a white southerner named Pee Wee Reese. He was playing shortstop. And the crowd was so out of control, he called the timeout. And he walked over to Jackie Robinson who was just feeling the worst of it all, put his arm around Jackie Robinson and stood there for the longest time. And eventually the crowd died down. And basically in that gesture, he was saying basically, this is my friend. <laughs> Robinson would later say that that arm around his shoulder if it wasn't for that arm around his shoulder, it would have cost him his career. Because you know you can only take so much. And I was thinking about, I don't know if P. Ree Reese was a believer or not. But on that day in the field, the love of Christ was at work in that situation. And I was thinking about, in a sense, you know what? Aren't we a team? The body of Christ. We are a team. When the Spirit of God is working, having his way with us, freeing us from all the little hang-ups, all the petty things that can sometimes separate us. We now come here to two important questions. He says, but why do you judge your brother? Verse 10. And why do you show contempt for your brother? This word contempt is kind of interesting because um, it's sort of, it's a disrespect. It's basically a disrespect uh, that comes because there's a judgmental attitude within the heart, within the life. And, and even though sometimes maybe when somebody shows contempt, 
we oftentimes hear of it in a judicial situation. Well, he showed contempt for the court, which basically means he was disrespectful. And sometimes when somebody's judging the other person, it can come out like that. Come out sort of like a, a disrespect. I'm not going to pay them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to give them the time of day, you know, kind of thing. And it's interesting that when there's a, certain attitudes within the heart, how they can manifest themselves, they can come out in different ways. Sometimes they can come out in just maybe a caustic word. He says, for we shall... As a matter of fact, I, want to, I wanted to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because Paul, over in Corinthians, says something similar. I'll read it to you if, you if you don't want to turn there. It's chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He says, But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. For he who judges me is the Lord. And I like what Paul says. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Now, it's because the Corinthians, always they, they had a struggle with Paul. Paul was the founding pastor of that church. He was the founder. Yet they're always judging him. And Paul is simply saying that, it, you know, as far as any kind of human court or whatever, judging me is wrong. And that's why he says here, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one will have their praise from God. So again, we don't know the facts. We're all going to stand before Christ and he will reveal the secrets. He'll deal with those particular issues. Now, in verse 11, this verse is quoted in Scripture three times, first in uh, Isaiah 45. It's also quoted over in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, it's quoted differently here. Because over in Philippians, I think also to in Isaiah, um, this confession is more of a confession of the lordship of, of, of Christ. But here, I think the confession because he, he doesn't add on uh, that every tongue shall confess, every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ. He doesn't add that. Because I think the confession that he's speaking about here is basically the confession of our wrongs. The word confess means, in, in basically it's the word metanoia in the Greek, it means just basically uh, you know, be, you know, to have another mind. And for us, it's to have the mind of the Lord, amen? To see things God's way. And this greater point here is basically, you know what, each one of us, we are going to stand before Almighty God. I wouldn't want to be the person who's always running around assessing, judging everyone else, and they're going to stand before Jesus Christ. I wouldn't want to be that person. That would be frightful. Paul will say also to over in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one 
may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust that we are well known in your consciences. So, again, why should we judge these matters, these issues, these critical things about one another? God's going to take, God's going to sort that out. I don't know, as soon as other people start bugging me, it's just a very short time before the Lord's showing me my goofiness, my issues, or my attitude about it. So then each of us shall give an account of, our, of himself or herself to God. It's one appointment we cannot cancel. I've canceled a lot of appointments, usually doctor's appointments. I don't care for them. They scare me. We're not going to be able to cancel that appointment with Dr. Jesus. But you know what? We can make sure that our heart's in the right place before we stand before him. That's the most important thing. So in conclusion, verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way or our sister's way. I was looking at this verse and thinking, well, how, how does that work? How does that work? I mean, sometimes we may judge somebody and then they judge us right back. But you know, sometimes when you judge people, it can bring such a sense of rejection and condemnation upon them. They just want to give up. I was thinking of this in relation to parents and their children. Because you know, as parents, oftentimes we are so, can be so critical and judgmental of our children. I, I wonder how many kids have gotten stumbled by well-meaning Christian parents. By, by just judging every little thing. <laughs> I think we have to be careful. E even making judgments vocally to our children, when we, we know they're wrong. I mean, there's a time to say something. But I think sometimes... Christian parents can be so intense and intentional. I mean, I was, Father's Day, I was saying, gee, I wish I could do it over again. But you notice a lot of things in life, there's no do-overs, are there? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. No matter what has transpired, no matter where we've failed or what mistakes we've made, the thing is we can learn from that. 
we can learn and we can move forward from this place to glorify God, to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's the beauty of the Spirit of God at work within our life. We can learn things. And praise God, we can change. I've said this about grandparents. It's parenting, second chance. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of the second chance. And we thank you, Lord, that you're gracious. You are kind. Lord, you don't judge us. Lord, you you work to change us. Lord, there will be a judgment time in the future. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that. Not just for ourselves, but Lord, for others, for the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you that you, in spite of all of our shortcomings, Lord, you don't point your finger in our face. You don't shout our name. You don't express anger and frustration with us. You're so incredibly gentle. You're merciful. You're kind. Lord, help us, I pray. Help us to be like that. To truly, Lord, represent, Lord, who you are, Lord, in our lives, Father, to one another. And Lord, do help parents. Help us, we pray, Lord, that we we live in a sinful world. Lord, we all have sinful proclivities. It's easy to see them. But not so easy, Lord, to, to be tolerant, to be patient. Lord, I think of Romans 2.5, that it's your goodness that brings change. It's your goodness that brings Repentance. Lord, help us, we pray, in our dealing with one another, with others. Lord, it's that kindness, that grace. So help us, I pray, that you be glorified in us, your church. In Jesus' precious name, amen.